Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 585 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today's episode is the 19th in the After Dark series. How about that? The After, well, that really is shocking. Let me look at this list here. Wow. The After Dark series began at episode 274 with the drinking edition. And then 283 was weed, 305 trauma and addiction, 319 was having sex with type 1 from a female perspective, 336 was depression and self-harm, 365 was having sex with type 1 from a male's perspective, after Dark, uh, 372, Divorce and Co-Parenting, 384, Bipolar, 393, Bulimia and Depression, 399, Heroin Addiction, 422 was called Amy, number 450 was called Psychedelics, 462, Sexual Assault and PTSD, 472, Living with Bipolar, 508, Adult Child of Divorce, 531, Diabetes Complications, 545, Eating Disorders, 558, Life Struggles. And today's episode, episode 585, is called After Dark, ADHD, Cocaine, and Abandonment. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. And if you think you have a story that's an After Dark episode, you should shoot me an email. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox is where you get started and find out more. The podcast is also sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. I'll be telling you about the Omnipod Promise later, but don't forget that you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Find out at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Hi, my name is Delane, and I'm a type 1 diabetic. I have um, ADHD and a bunch of other mental health diagnoses, and I'm here today to um, talk about my journey and um, how it brought me here and to place of health. Okay, that's a perfect way to introduce yourself. Um, Yay! Yeah, yeah, it does seem daunting sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And your name is, I'm going to like, I kind of detach the D from the lane, the lane like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like Delane. Um, I usually tell people it's like Elaine, but with a D, my mom just missed by a letter when she was writing my name on my birth certificate. <laughs> but not, but not Delaney, the way it just sort of blends the D-E-L. Yeah, no, not Delaney. Okay. No. Um, I get called Diane all the time. Um, a neighbor across the street has called me Delilah for the last three years, and I just haven't corrected him. I'm happy with that, with him, to, for him to call me that. So <laughs> it works. <laughs> At least you know it's him coming when you hear it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, ah, duck and run. <laughs> so my, my brain did want to just delete the L at first. Yeah. When we read, you read the first letter of the word and the last letter of the word, and then you count the the letters in, in inside the word. And then your brain like decides what word it is based on the context. Yeah. It's super interesting. Well, anyway, it's a pretty name. It's very interesting. Um, Thank you. Yeah, of course. Let us jump in and find out how old you were when you were diagnosed with type one. I was 13 years old when I was diagnosed. How long ago was that? 
Um, 18 years, 18 years. Wow. Okay. So you've been doing this for a good long while. Yeah. I've been around the block. I've been on MDI. I've done, um, Animus, Medtronic, Tandem and Omnipod pump. Um, yeah, I've kind of been there and done it all. It's great. I don't think you didn't name a pump. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's the, uh, What's that? Um, Ip- Ypsomed, is that what it's called? That really simple one? Is that in America? Um, oh, wait, you're in Canada. Yeah, it's, I'm in Canada. Yeah, so I think they're in America too, but it's like a very basic, like no fancy features at all pump. <laughs> I think it's called Ypsomed. No frills. Might be wrong. <laughs> no frills. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you yeah. buy the and right, Good. Um, right now I'm using the Tandem um, with Control IQ um, with the Dexcom, which has incredibly changed my life and my diabetes management. I can finally say that I have an A1C of about 6.2 right now. Wow. From the algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. From the algorithm and, um, you know, just being able to be more conscious about my diabetes, you know, my phone beeps, my pump beeps, and I can't get away from the beeps. Whereas before when I was on MDI or even the other kinds of pumps, I could, you know, just be like, Oh, I'll deal with that in a minute. And then a minute becomes two hours, becomes six hours. And, you know, sometimes I kind of come to when I'm like, oh, right, I'm diabetic. No wonder I feel so crappy. Like my sugars are 25. I'd better, I'd better take care of that. Was your first CGM experience with the, the tandem pump? Uh, no, I did uh, the G4 when it came out in Canada in 2015 mm-hmm. um, with my first pregnancy with my my first son. Um, and, uh, it was pretty hit or miss, um, with the G4, the G5 was better. Like the G4 was like a crazy harpoon. Um, the G5 was still harpoony, but not like terrifying. Um, but the G6 is like amazing. I can't wait for G7 to come out. Nice. Yeah. No, everybody's pretty excited. Did you not like the, um, the insertion device? Yeah, the 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 G5 insertion device, if you just look at it, right? And it's like, oh, man, that's scary. You see that big needle in there and you're like, that's really going to hurt. But now that I can't see it, like I I literally don't feel my G6 going in. There's so many people who talk about that. Um, I actually obviously have no context for it, but the idea of being able to see it versus it being hidden and how helpful that is. Um, yeah. Yeah. It lowers the anxiety, right? Because when you think something bad's going to happen, then like it's worse than if you don't. Yeah. Well, At least I found that. No, that makes sense to me. Um, so are you, how many children do you have? Um, I have two. Um, my oldest son, he's six years old and my youngest son is uh, coming up on two in January. Oh, wow. Married? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been married for four years and with my husband for the last eight or nine it's kind of all turning into a blur <laughs> <laughs> oh congratulations that's lovely that's it a new baby yeah. at two years old is still a new baby to me so yeah yeah well he's he's decided he's a big boy now we flipped his car seat around yesterday so he can look forwards when you were driving and he does everything his big brother does and it's terrifying he was probably, <laughs> he was probably just scared of the moose that was chasing your car the whole time you were driving down. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. Or the beavers. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> like, like you said with the needle, like it's better just not to see it. So, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta look forward with the rest of you. Well, that's very cool. Uh, any autoimmune stuff with those kids? 
those kids with your. I, ch- I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said those kids like, with your children. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, both my children have been very healthy, um, except my oldest son has had behavioral issues since he's been about three. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for a long time, I thought it was my parenting. Um, but in the last couple of years, I've kind of been on a self-discovery. Uh, journey with myself and, you know, discovered ADHD for myself and put together the pieces that um, he's not a bad kid. He's just got ADHD. So that's the only issue that they've got going on. Okay. Um, I mean, you're on the show today to talk about, about all that. So I guess maybe we'll maybe skip over the diabetes stuff and, and head into that first. Um, Sure. You, you, wrote a very like passionate note like you know when you sign up for the podcast it lets you say like what are some of the topics you hope to be covering and yours was you know it was voluminous i think that's the word there was a lot of words (laughs) that's a good word yeah thank you yeah Uh, so um usually people are like you know like like if they had adhd they'd be like i want to talk about adhd (laughs) yeah but but what was your so was diabetes your first diagnosis in your life um, yeah, I think it it was my first diagnosis. I've, I've always been depressed ever since I can remember. Like, even when I was like five or six years old, I remember just being really depressed and sad. Um, and I never really knew why. Um, and, um, before I got diagnosed with diabetes, um, I actually, I got whooping cough, which is, um, pertussis. Mm-hmm. Um, and they vaccinate kids for that, but, um, my vaccination, um, turned out to be like a dead vaccine. So it didn't take, um, and I got whooping cough really bad. Um, it was to the point where for some reason they still let me go to school, but I'd be coughing. I'd get in these coughing fits where I'd literally pass out in the hallway because I didn't have enough air. And I'd come to a few seconds later, you know, and get up and go again, but I was really sick for about six months. Hmm. Um, and then after I got over that, like, I just still wasn't feeling well. Right. Um, and I kept telling my mom, I'm I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. And, you know, she didn't really, I don't know if she believed me or thought I was exaggerating or trying to get attention. I don't know. But like, I knew I was really sick. Hmm. Um, I'm fascinated. And it kind of got, sorry, go ahead. Give me a second. I'm fascinated that you went to school with whooping cough and so. Yeah. Did your, your parents work on an oil rig or something? They weren't able to stay home with you or? Um, no, my mom, um, my dad, well, I'm kind of from a very blended family. So like my father, um, he was a logging truck driver and he was married to another lady and they had three kids. So they couldn't really take care of me or didn't want their kids to get sick either. And then my stepdad, uh, he was a lawyer, very busy in his firm. And my mom um, had like a bed and breakfast um, thing going on. And she, she had worked like 18 hours a day. Mm. Um, and so they didn't really have a lot of time for me. So off to school, I went. Gotcha. And then I have one more question before we talk about the, the diagnosis right in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does being sad all the time feel like when you're five or six? Like, how does that, like, how does that register in your conscious brain? Um, Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. I ju- it's hard to describe because I question how I'm remembering it now to how it was then because I've 
I know a lot more now than I did then. But I guess it was just a feeling of being left out, being not like the other kids, um, not getting the same kind of treatment from the teachers, from my mom, my dad's, um, and just feeling like, I guess overall my whole life, I just felt like everybody else, you know, has the key to this, this puzzle of life. And I don't. And I keep asking people, you know, what am I doing wrong? And nobody will tell me. Everyone tells me I'm just, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like I'm just this freak and I'm never going to be what people tell me I can be. You know, when you're in school, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, I want to be an astronaut or something, Yeah. you know, and they're like, go for it. You can do it. You know, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I learned very early on that I could not do the things I wanted to put my mind to, regardless of the amount of time that I spent trying. And, and is that and, a, um, is that a reality or is it just the disconnect you feel because of the depression? Like when somebody says you're doing fine, is it possible that from a third party perspective, everything that they can witness is going well and that the feeling you feel is somewhere between the truth and how you interpret it? Yeah. Is that it, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly it, right? Like parents, you know, just look around and, and see, you know, are you happy? Which on the outside, I was happy. I was like really excited and bubbly. And are you getting your schoolwork done? Yeah. You know, are you playing and, and having fun outside with your friends? Yep. So everything's fine. But right? those, but and those the, things don't give you the internal feeling that they give other people. Yeah. Okay. Because of the struggle, <clears throat> pardon me, no. because of the struggle to do those things where it just looks effortlessly to, to do for other people. The struggle of getting myself to do those things was just so heavy that I was just constantly like climbing this mountain and the mountain, I never got closer to the top. Is that is that then the idea that some person is playing and having fun and you are trying to mimic what playing and having fun looks like? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just, just wanted to be normal and I just couldn't find it. Yeah. If you were to um, collapse in on yourself, what would your life look like if you weren't pretending? I'm saying pretending. I don't know what the right word is, but but trying to mimic a happy life. Um, if I wasn't trying to mimic a happy life, uh, boy, I, I still try to mimic a happy life. Um, I've, uh, in the last 10 years, you know, I fell into the cycle of addiction pretty bad. Um, I've almost lost my life countless times um so if i wasn't trying to mimic a a happy life uh that is what i would be doing okay um yeah yeah. okay so you'd be using some sort of a substance to what's the goal of the substance to make you to not to not feel anything okay to not feel the defeat to not feel the the i wish i was and to just feel nothing and just be and and that that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. I'm sorry. So I, that was a pretty long detour. 
and it's going to feel like a sorry. weird transition. No, don't be sorry. I'm, I'm about to apologize for my transition because I'm taking it back <laughs> now. And I'm saying, okay, so you had whooping cough and then what happened? I'm yeah. Sorry. So um, just here, uh, you know, disclaimer, um, with my ADHD, I do tend to go on tangents a little bit. And please feel free to interrupt me because sometimes my mouth moves before it recognizes that I should be quiet. Do you listen to, <laughs> do you listen to this podcast? Oh, yeah. You don't hear me run people over when I get bored? It's okay. We're fine. (laughs) Awesome. Go ahead. Uh, So, okay. So now we're back in school. We're whooping cough. We know how you're there. What, 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 what transpires? Um, I was feeling really tired all the time. Like I just couldn't get out of bed. And that's, you know, a normal teenager thing. Right. But mine was, was pretty extreme. Not only am I struggling to be quote unquote normal, you know, now when I wake up in the morning, like I feel like I haven't slept and I'm just hungry all the time and I'm losing weight and I can't drink enough. You know, I'm constantly peeing. I'm cranky. I can't, I can't handle just living, never mind anything else. Mm. Um, and I, I told my mom, I'm like, you know, I'm still sick. I'm still sick. I'm still sick. Please, like, I need to go to the doctor. And so, you know, we went to the doctor and the doctor said, Essentially, there's nothing wrong with you, but, you know, if you want to test, we'll test you for mono and you can go get a blood test done. And I thought, well, you know, let's maybe it's that. Right. So we went for blood tests probably about three or four times. Um, And I just kept getting worse and worse. Um, I remember a couple days before my last blood test um, in the night, I was so thirsty that I drank four liters of milk. I don't know what that is in gallons. A lot. A lot of milk. A lot of milk. Um, In my sleep, I just lay down and I'd be so thirsty. I walk to the fridge and I just chug milk. And then uh, the next morning, like if you drink four liters of milk, you know, warning, uh, you will vomit (laughs) a lot if you drink that much milk that fast. And uh, so, yeah, in the morning I was, I was getting sick in the toilet and my mom said, Oh my God, are you pregnant? I'm like, a no, but thanks for noticing I'm sick. <laughs> How old were you um, I was 13. How old was your mom when she had her first kid? Uh, 26. Oh, okay. That's a weird leap. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, weird leap. I was, well, like, I was not, like, the best child. Uh, uh, I've had a lot of family struggles. So when I was a kid, like, I was, I was, uh, I was a handful. Um, so I, I, looking back, I totally see how she made that leap because I was oh, oh, know, I see. So, not so, behaving super well. Yeah. So the, in the back of her mind, she's like, oh, she's 13 and pregnant. This is yeah. about, oh, great. What, about yeah. what I expected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I yeah. See. I yeah. See. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was either that day or a couple days later. Um, I had to go for another one of my blood tests for the same thing that I hadn't had for a long time. Um, and the lab tech that takes your blood, she you know, couldn't get the blood to come into the syringe. And she kept, like, she probably stabbed me 10 times trying to find a vein. Um, and she finally got it in, and she's, it wasn't coming in, though, to the, the vial very quickly. It was, it looked like, like warm molasses. Oh. And uh, she was really concerned. And uh I was just like, yeah, well, I, I don't know what's going on. And I left and I, I went home. Um, and I was supposed to be in school that day, but I 
like I just made it down to the hospital and I went home and um, went to bed. Um, and then a few hours later, uh, the police showed up <laughs> at my house um, and they asked me to pack a bag and that I was going to the hospital. And um, I was like, what are you talking about, you crazy people? <laughs> I'm not leaving with you. I'm going back to bed. Like, go away. And um, all my family, everybody I knew was out of town that day. It was just like the worst day this could have happened to me. My mom was on some trip. Both my dads were out of town. Like, everybody was gone. Um, <laughs> so uh, off I went down to uh, the doctor's office with the police. And my dad's secretary met me at the, at the appointment. She was the only person that was there that I knew and uh, the doctor told me that I had type one diabetes and that I'd be in the hospital for a while and I'd have to give myself needles every day who, for the rest of my life. Who called the police? The hospital, the, the lab tech. Because the, because, okay. So they, they ran my sugars and they're like, Oh my God, she's going to be dead. And then they like, sent somebody in an emergency. And these cops showed up in cars. They weren't on horses or something like that, right? Oh, no. Yeah, no, no, no horses here. No, they've got uh, normal police uniforms, not not red suits and funny hats. Yeah, they were nice to me, you know, but it was not an option if I was going or not. <clears throat> wow. Um, they were there to make sure that I I got the medical help that I needed. I like, it that, when they, I like that when the tech is drawing your blood out and it's super thick, they look at you like what's this about as if you would have any idea um right like yeah. if you don't know hello. we're all in trouble thank you very much yeah thank you very much <laughs> like i'm going home now i feel bad yeah. <laughs> you know you're, you're, yeah it was it was crazy your young life is is i don't have a word for it yet it hasn't struck me yet but everything's a little scattered and um like i just i'm trying to imagine a world where my 13 year old's by herself at night. Yeah, like uh, even that doesn't make sense to me. But nevertheless, that's probably not why we're here. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> am I am I going out on a limb to say that you were on your own with the diabetes? Uh not at all. <laughs> no, you are you are right with it. Um, you know, being a pretty oppositional kid. Um, later, I was diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. Um. But I, you know, I felt a sense of control, you know, that I didn't have in my life in other places because I didn't really have my parents available for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I could control my diabetes and how I dealt with it. And, you know, I was smart enough to take care of whatever I wanted to take care of. And they could, you know, bugger off in the process was kind of my mindset. <laughs> Give me a second so, here. Um, I, I have oppositional defiant disorder, ODD. A disorder in a child marked by defiant and disobedient behavior to authority figures. The cause of the op oppositional defiant disorder is unknown, but likely involves a combination of genetic and environmental factors. Symptoms generally begin before child is eight years old. They include irritable mood, argumentative and defiant behavior, aggression, vindictiveness uh, that lasts more than six months and cause significant problems at home or school. Oh, yeah. Treatment. Treatment <laughs> involves therapy. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Oh, big time. That is. That's like reading my bio when I was, you know, uh, a young thirteen. Yeah, fourteen and under, fifteen and under. I don't know. 
I have Maybe to tell I was you, 16, I don't know. If people, but that, that's me. <laughs> if people left me alone when I was 13 and, and I was vomiting, I'd be defiant too. <laughs> but I would be, yeah. it would be a different reason. I'd be like, these people don't care about me. And I'm going to have to uh, argue with them a lot, it seems. it's uh, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if I don't get up and start screaming, they're not going to notice that something's wrong with me. You know, so, you know, and when I do get up and start screaming, like, it was like six months that I was sick after whooping cough before, you know, they actually did something. So I was like, no, first of all, I felt like there's something wrong with me and nobody will tell me what it is so I can fix it, you know, and all these people that are supposed to love me are not here supporting me, you know, and now I have this disease that I'm supposed to know how to handle. And the doctors say, you know, just do this and this and it'll work. And no one's helping me with that either. So, you know, F it. Plus, was kind of where I was at. Plus, you're in, seriously, you're in Canada. So, did you start with regular and MPH? Yeah. 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 The cloudy. Right. Right. So, yeah. so there was just sort of like you just shot it twice a day. Did you even did you do it or no? Um. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. But I couldn't remember <laughs> okay. if I did or didn't. So it was kind of like fly by the seat of your pants. And if my mom re- would remind me to do it, then I would just be like, Defiant. I'd go crazy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I did it. Don't did it, did it, did it. And then I probably wouldn't take it, you know? Um, and they had me on like uh, uh, meals. Like you, uh, I could have like 60 carbs per meal. And then I'd give myself exactly whatever dose it was. And if I, I couldn't eat over and if I snacked, I couldn't eat, like I couldn't snack anything with carbs so, um, yeah, to be in a situation that I was in and have those kinds of restrictions put on me was not ideal. Yeah. You know, I saw this therapist in a video recently. I don't remember the entire context of what she said, but there's this one aspect to what she said that I found fascinating. And I'm, I feel like I want to bring it up here. She said that some, yeah. sometimes parents bring children in for therapy. And it becomes obvious that the child is fine and the parents are the mm-hmm. problem and that the parents take everything that's wrong in their life and attach it to one kid. And it's usually, she said, if you, if they have multiple children, they'll choose one and, yeah. ju- and just stick the, like all the bad things in their life, they just attribute to the child. Yeah. And, and then they send the yeah. kid, then they, then they send the kid in and tell you like, fix all this. And yeah. I don't know that that has anything to do with what you're saying, but it felt like I wanted to say it out loud. So, um, I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, of course, discounting any of your diagnosis that we're going to go over, but, um, it, it, it doesn't feel like you had, uh, a fair shake. I, I guess that maybe that's the right way to say it. Um, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny that you bring that up because, um, I actually took my mother to therapy when I was 14. You took her. Um, I took her to therapy. And um, I, I, you know, was talking to the therapist and I was like, I need my mom to be a mom. Like, she's not my friend. You know, she's supposed to be here to help me and support me and like be there for me and be consistent and like be a parent and set rules and set boundaries. This is what my like 14 year old self is telling a therapist. Right. And my mom was there and the therapist you know, said, well, what do you think about all that to my mom? And my mom's response was like, well, if I'm going to set, if I'm, if I'm going to set rules, you have to follow them. 
And I'm like, I'm a kid. My job is to push your rules and see how far I can get. Your job is to make them and enforce them. Like, what what are you, what do you not understand about being a parent? Right. Did she did um, she have poor parenting? Oh yeah, yeah. My mom, um, her mom was born. Had my mom when she was forty two. And um, my mom was just kind of like discarded by her mom and then sent to boarding school at a young age. Um, just, you know, she was just abandoned by her, by her mom. It was, it wasn't a good thing. Yeah. So she's got a lot of trauma too. So now as an adult, like I look back and I'm like, I understand why she was like this, but doesn't help you. My child self is still like, where the F were you? Because my life could have gone a lot better if you supported me. Right. Right. You know, so it's kind of that push and pull thing. (sighs) Well, okay. So let's just assume the diabetes went about the way you said it went. Um, When do other diagnoses come in? Um, Well, when I was uh, 13 and a half, like, I don't know, six months into my diagnosis or maybe I was 14. Um, I decided that I was going to stage a suicide to get my mother's attention. And uh, I got her attention. She uh, took me and put me in a suicide prevention program in a town four hours away, uh, where I lived with a foster family and went to this place for like eight to 10 hours a day where we did therapy and this, that, the other thing. That's where I was diagnosed with the oppositional defiant disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where they told my mom, you know, she needs to work on herself and start parenting so that I could get through this. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, I went home for some time. I don't know how long it was. Um, this part of my life is pretty fuzzy. Um, but one day I, I was at home and my mom told me that somebody was coming to see me maybe six months or a year after this. Um, and, uh, a social worker came in and, uh, she told me that I was going to go stay somewhere else for a while and, uh, that the foster parent was really excited to meet me and had all sorts of treats and goodies for me and just couldn't wait to see me. Um, and I went into foster care uh, for two and a half years. All right. So a couple of questions. Um, staged a suicide attempt. Does it mean you tried or you made it look like you tried? I made it look like I tried. Okay. And I, I told her what I told her was I, I overdosed on insulin and I woke up when I didn't. Okay. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> does your mom recognize at this point that, that the, I don't know how it works there, the municipality or the state or the whatever doesn't recognize her as a valuable caretaker for you. I mean, cause that's my uh, assumption. Like you're, you're, you're taking like, what other reason would there be to take a child away from a parent in this situation? Oh, they didn't take me away. Oh, okay. She sent she, you away. She called them ah. and told them that she didn't want to deal with me anymore and that they needed to come and take me. No, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. It's it's the way it was. So. Mm. so you know, the happy ending is I do have a relationship with my mom now. So 
Wow. <laughs> There's that. Well, I, can I be honest with you, Delaine? I can't yeah. wait to find out how that happened because because <laughs> if you would tell me you don't talk to your mom anymore, I think I'd understand that. Uh, okay. yeah. yeah. So you're gone two, two years at the second place? Yeah. More. More than two years. Yeah, two and a half years. How is it? How is it living there? It was foster care. Um, the people were really nice. Uh, they were an older couple, but um, I, I was just not in a good spot. I was. Um, I didn't want to help around the house. I didn't want to be part of their foster family i was like you know what my mom doesn't want me my dads don't want me they had an opportunity to take me and they don't want me Mm -hmm. you know um so here i am because nobody wants me and to heck with it all um i started smoking pot um i started drinking to excess um at suicide prevention camp, um, I had made uh, friends with a 23-year-old man. Omnipod has a little something for you. It's called the Omnipod Promise. What does the Omnipod Promise mean? Well, I'm going to tell you. I mean, I imagine you thought that, right? Here's what it means. Let's say you're thinking about getting an Omnipod. Like you don't have one right now, but you want one. Or you have uh, Omnipod, but you'd like to get the Omnipod Dash. And you think, well, I don't want to upgrade right now because I don't want to get stuck in the thing that I have, which, well, that won't exist with Omnipod because of their promise, the Omnipod promise, which says that there is no need to wait for the next big thing because with the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they are available to you and covered by your insurance. Terms and conditions apply, of course. But that's the Omnipod promise. The Omnipod promise says to you, eh, go ahead, get an Omnipod. Because if another thing comes out from Omnipod and you want to upgrade, you can just do it. There's no reason to wait. Now that you know that, Maybe you should go find out if you're eligible for the free 30-day supply of the Omnipod Dash. That's correct. You heard me right. You may be eligible for a free 30-day supply of the Omnipod Dash. Free. No money. You don't change hands with cashy cash. You just get the pumpy pump. Go find out at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Why would you do that? Well, there's a number of reasons. And I'm going to tell you one of them next week in the Omnipod ad. And it involves a person you've heard on this podcast and a broken finger. <laughs> Crazy. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Could a tubed pump give you a broken finger? I mean, we're going to find out. Stick with me here while I type something into the browser. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Make knowledge your superpower with the Dexcom G6 CGM system. Thank you. I already have, but maybe you would like to. There's some words here. I'll read them to you. Now with the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitoring system, make better diabetes treatment and diabetes management decisions with zero finger sticks and no calibrations. The Dexcom G6 lets you see your glucose numbers 
with just a quick glance at your smart device and receiver. Get alerted when your glucose levels are headed high or low and share your data with up to 10 followers. The Dexcom G6 is covered by most insurance plans. Now there's some legalese here and stuff and a button that says, get started with Dexcom G6. This is what you care about. Getting started with Dexcom. Being able to see your or your loved one's blood sugars in real time on a receiver or on your smartphone. That's for Android or iPhone, by the way. Imagine that. Imagine that I could pick up my phone right now, swipe up, push a button, and tell you that my daughter's blood sugar is 109 and stable. That's it. I did that in real time. Boom. Like that. Stable. How do I know stable? Well, there's arrows, directional arrows that tell you what direction your blood sugar is moving in. Is it stable? Is it moving up? Is it moving down? Is it moving up quickly, down quickly, etc., etc. So you see the number, the speed, and the direction of the blood sugar. Imagine the possibilities when you have that information about sleepovers and school or bolusing well for meals or correcting a high or a low. Just imagine. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. There's links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Dexcom and all of the sponsors. At Suicide Prevention Camp, I had made uh, friends with a 23-year-old man who then decided he wanted to date me. Uh, so then I started going to, when I was in foster care, I started going to his house on the weekends and paying for my own bus tickets and going and doing things I shouldn't be doing as a you know, 15-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> it was wild. It was really crazy looking back my adult self now looking at my child self like if if I was my parent I would be losing my mind wondering, you know wondering um, where you are and how you are and all that stuff yeah, yeah like and what the what the heck are you doing yeah. with your life like I would as a parent want to support my child if they were doing something like that but um your mom didn't want to have anything to do with it. Did she? My have- mom didn't want to take any responsibility for herself and she didn't want to take any responsibility for me because it would just be too much for her. Do you have any other brothers, sisters with her, that are her children? No, I am my mom's only child. My father has three boys with his new wife. Uh, your mom's second husband, any children with him? No. So you were her. No, that's you're, you're her yeah. That's child. one reason they didn't work out is they couldn't have kids. But you're her only child. What? Oh. Okay. Is your mom? I, forgive me. I don't really know. I'm. I, I'm not as couth as I could be. Is your mom unstable? Yes. Okay. My mom has been very unstable her whole life. Diagnosed, um, diagnosed as something. Uh. I don't know if she's been given any diagnosis, but I, I, I would assume she's, she's been diagnosed as depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really talk about that. And I don't know if she's really interested in, in that kind of stuff either. But um, from my perspective now, now I understand that my mom had really bad ADHD that was never dealt with. Okay. Um, and her flailing kind of like I'm flailing in this conversation. Um, 
was just her trying to pick up her own pieces as she went. And she literally could not handle me. Even if I was a good kid, she wouldn't have been able to handle me. I see. Yeah. uh, um, If she was here, this is unfair, but how do you think she would categorize her decisions back then? Do you think she would just say, I couldn't do it? And I was hoping someone else could, or do you think this, she was giving up or. Um, yeah, I think she was giving, I think she was giving up and I think that she knew she couldn't do it then. Um, I think she wanted to do it, but that she just wasn't in that kind of place. Mm-hmm. And like, if she could, if she was listening to our conversation right now, I, like, I think she'd really have hurt feelings with what I'm saying. And I don't mean to uh, like attack her character or anything or talk her down, but this is my reality. This is, you know, what I went through and what I needed from a parent, what I'm describing. And, um, you know, when you have to face, when you facing yourself is the hardest thing you can ever do in your life because you have to be really honest and, work through what you know you need to work on and stop making excuses. And I think that's something that we all really struggle with, whether or not we're in therapy or not. Hmm. Um, Okay. So you keep in your note and now you're, you're mentioning ADHD, but it sounds like you were diagnosed with other things prior to that. Yeah. What was that trajectory like? Well, um, so when I was about 16, 16, 17, um, I graduated high school early and I met a very bad man. Um, Wait, worse, he, he worse was, than the 25-year-old guy who was 23-year-old guy that was willing to have sex with a 15-year-old? Yeah, this, this guy was worse. You found a, okay, you found a guy worse I than that? I found a worse one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah because he said he loved me, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I believed him because what is love, right? Uh-huh. When you're rejected by your family, when you're abandoned by your family, when you're not supported by your family, like... What what did I know what love was? If someone says I love you, mm. like I guess they do. Let's let's explore this, right? So I met this really bad guy who got me into you know harder street drugs, and um, with him I just kind of dove off bridge. Um, I was homeless. I took crazy advantage of my family. Um, I stole a lot of money, stole a lot of things. I did a lot of really really bad stuff. Um, and I, I almost died many times with him. Uh, somehow I lived. Um, uh, and I was in that relationship for about four years. Um, and the relationship ended because uh, he actually tried to kill me. He tried to strangle me to death one night. And um, I finally got the courage to go to the police and then not recant my statement and actually take him to court. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up kidnapping me and like trying to kill my dog. Like it's crazy. Um, and he was found guilty and everything. And, and by doing that, I was able to let go of that relationship and move on with my life. But during that relationship, you know, I had started doing therapy and trying to figure out what was going on with me and like why these things just kept happening to me. Why was my life so crazy? I look at all these other people and they like are enjoying picnics in the park with their family. Like, why do I just keep getting abused? You know? And so they, they told me I, I had severe anxiety. They told me I was depressed. 
Um, and they said, you know, if you, you know, um, stop causing yourself so many problems, you know, and just, you know, keep to yourself, that anxiety will come down and, and that depression will improve. So, you know, just keep, keep working on yourself. And I'm like, how can I work on myself? Like I'm trying to have relationships with people and all these people are abusing me and you're blaming me for having anxiety. Like, I don't get this. Mm. Um, so that kind of, you know, depression and, and severe anxiety was a thing. How old are you at this point? I mean, if about, I... about 20, 22-ish. Okay. Um, and then when I was 23, I met my husband. And um, we we hit it off like, you know, peas and carrots. We were We were a thing right away. It was awesome. I didn't want a boyfriend at the time, which just made him try harder to be my boyfriend. Um, you know, and that was, that was great. We had a great relationship for the first six months here. We went traveling, we went to Ontario. That's, you know, the other side of Canada and, uh, met his family and my dad, my, my stepdad, uh, came out and, uh, he got married. My stepdad's gay. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I wasn't sure if you were saying he came out to Ontario and got married, or he came out as gay. I couldn't figure. Yeah, out. he he came out as gay. Gotcha. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, which was great because I always kind of knew that, but I didn't really know what that was. Um, but I knew that, like, I don't know. I just always known since I was a kid he wasn't into women. Um, so I was super happy. You know, we went to his wedding, and I introduced my new boyfriend now, my husband to the family. Um, my husband's 18 years older than me. And, um, so that kind of made me nervous. Um, and my, my dad's husband is only a few years older than me. And I guess he's now 70 and my dad is 71. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a huge age gap between him and his husband and there's a huge age gap between me and my husband. So I thought this is a great time to introduce my then boyfriend to that side of the family. And it was great. We had an awesome time. Um, we had a wonderful trip. We, you know, went to the wedding, went and met his family. It was just great. Um, and we had rented a house together and whatnot. Um, and, uh, but I was having um, a lot of pain when we would have intercourse. And I've been doing this for a few years, uh, very intense pain. And so I went to a, uh, gynecologist doctor guy and he gave me two options he said you know we think you have endometriosis which is when you bleed from the lining of your uterus all the time and into your organs and stuff and I'm like I don't have that so you know let's try something else and he's like no that's what you have we'll either you can start these hormone pills that'll put you into menopause so you'll stop doing that or we'll do surgery and we'll we'll you know, find the endometriosis and try to, you know, burn it off or whatever they do. Right. Mm. So I'm like, well, you're not going to give me these hormones. I'm not going into menopause at 24 years old. Right. Like that's not on my list of things to do with my life. Um, so let's do the surgery and I'll prove to you that uh, I don't have endometriosis and then maybe you'll take me seriously. Okay. So we go and have surgery and I'm in the recovery room. And I come to, and I'm like, I don't know. Have you ever had surgery before? I have, yeah. Yeah, you know, you wake up and you're like, woo, 
and it's like you're super drunk and like just not there and it's right. everything's funny and happy and you know so I'm laying there and you know just totally out of it and the doctor walks up to my bed and and he says so how are you feeling and I said I'm feeling you know pretty drunk oh. and he says well congratulations you're pregnant and I said no I'm not you've got the wrong chart there's no way I'm pregnant and he said, you know, my name and my date of birth. I'm like, no, no, not pregnant. And he told me, you know, a third time. And then I started screaming um, because I never wanted to have kids. Okay. Because of my childhood experience, like I knew that there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I wasn't good at relationships. And I was like, there is no way I can be able to parent a child. I'm not even interested in that in any way whatsoever. And so when I was, you know, drowsy, waking up from the surgery and him telling me that I just dove off the deep end of crazy. I I was really, really upset. Not only do I have type one diabetes, but I've got all these other things and how can I handle this? So it took a while to accept that I was pregnant. And I always thought if I ever got pregnant, that it would be a really easy decision just to have an abortion. That's how I kind of calmed myself down. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, if it ever happens, I'll just, you know, do that. And uh, I went to the hospital that day to get an ultrasound because I had no idea how far along I was. And I was like 12 weeks. And um, I remember looking up at the monitor and seeing this little heart. Ooh, there's some tears. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I just remember seeing his little heart beating and it was like in that moment, my whole world changed. Um, Cause I couldn't, there's no way I could have let him go. So uh, then became the radical acceptance of the change of my, the course of my life. Um, so um, yeah. When I was pregnant with my type one, um, I was I was really struggling with my mental health and really struggling with my diabetes. I've always had like brittle diabetes. Uh, that's what the doctors have called it, right? Um, sometimes I have the expected reaction to my insulin, and sometimes I don't. Um, and so I've always been really brittle. So they uh, sent me to um, a hospital. Uh, in another city that had a, a diabetes specialist there that worked with me every week. I'd have to drive there and talk to them. And then near the end of my pregnancy, it was every, every other day, but um, my mental health went down the lowest, uh, one of the lowest places it's ever been when I was pregnant. Um, and uh, I stopped working. I was working at a financial firm um, managing investments and whatnot and I couldn't work anymore I couldn't handle my diabetes I couldn't handle my feelings never mind handling work so I went off on disability Um, and I was expected to return to work you know after my um, maternity leave in Canada you get uh, a year's worth of um, employment insurance payments when you have a baby Mm -hmm. um, to you know help the the parent mother or father you know, bond with the child. And um, you guys should try that down there. It's really handy. (laughs) 
Um, so um, when I was, you know, off work, um, they wanted me to get a psych assessment done. Um, and so I did. And I talked to a psychiatrist on the phone um, one day and he told me that I had um, major depressive disorder, um, that I had postpartum depression, uh, that I had borderline personality disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, complex PTSD, uh, and oh yeah, chronic pain. Um, my body was all like, my body, I was just in so much pain all the time. My back, my legs, my arms, my face. It was like fibromyalgia pain. Um, but it was psychological, not uh, physical. Mm-hmm. So once I got all those diagnoses, you know, um, I felt pretty hopeless. I was like, well, now we know what's wrong with me, but how do I fix this so I can be better? Right. And my insurance company told me that we don't expect you to recover. Uh, so we're not going to pay for, you know, psychology, psych- or like psychological therapy, you know, for a professional person. Um, we're just going to kind of, you know, check in with you every once in a while and see if things are improving, but we're not going to invest any more into you. Is that private? Um, that, is that private yeah. insurance or through the government? Uh, private insurance through my employer. Oh, uh, yeah. They can decide. Um, so that like, they they can decide that you don't deserve treatment. Yes, because they pay the bill. Oh, jeez. If I go to another government, like if I, if I went to the government and said I need treatment, then I can get treatment through the government. But there's not a lot of psychiatrists or psych psychologists that like our system is pretty stressed up here, mm-hmm. um, and so it's really hard to find the right fit with somebody and then have regular appointments or you actually make any kind of progress um, through the government. So Hmm. that was, uh, that was uh, uh, pretty crazy. So like at that time I was like, you know what, like if my insurance company thinks I'm a lost cause, you know, why even bother trying anymore? And um, that's when I started using again. And the baby, um, but how, how old's the baby at that point? Uh, about a year. Okay. About a year. So, um, like I switched him to bottles cause I was like, if I'm going to use, I'm, I'm not going to like breastfeed him, you know? So, um, I was, I was drinking and using, um, quite a bit, but I was really, really good at hiding it. Heroin? And, Are we um, talking about heroin? No, we're talking about cocaine. Cocaine. Okay. Cocaine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never been a downer person, so I can't be an alcoholic. I really tried for a long time to be an alcoholic because it's accessible and it's socially, socially uh, approved. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just don't like the alcohol. Okay. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I was always using um, just so I could feel calm and normal and like I can get through the day. And like if I can get through till this kid goes to bed, then, you know. I can try again tomorrow, but I can't without the drugs. I could not cope with parenting my child and everything else that was falling, um, falling apart in my world. During, so I did what worked during this. What is your, what is the baby's father? He was, was he your husband at that point? I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, we got married more recently. 
when my husband, when my son was three. So what's he's his, six now. What's yeah. his level of awareness for how you're feeling? Zero. Okay. Zero. Um, I would cry all the time. I would spend days where I just sit at the table and cry. Um, I'd get really angry and yell and scream and throw things. And he would just look at me and keep playing on his phone. Um, I'd have panic attacks and sometimes he'd like rub my back and try to help me feel better. But you can tell when somebody is really invested in caring about how you feel. And that was not something that he could do um, at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband was uh, working in the oil fields for 25 years. And right when we had our son, um, the oil field crashed. So he lost his job. He lost his, you know, manliness, his what, what fed his ego. And he, he also became really depressed. So I don't really blame him for not being able to support me Mm -hmm. during that time it was just we all have our have our stuff and we both had it had it pretty bad at the same time yeah but we survived you know Uh, he got a job uh working with highways and um started his climb back uphill so is he is he doing better now uh, yeah, he's starting to he's starting to do better. Um, he now works for highways through the government, and uh, he's got a pretty cushy job. Um, and he likes being the boss, and he gets to boss everybody around. So um, he's pretty happy with uh, with that part of his life. Our marriage is still kind of rocky, but we're working on it, and we're both committed to it. And that's that's the first step. <laughs> did that did that new job give him the ability to help you a little more like bring yeah. back his confidence yeah yeah bringing back his confidence and um now that he works for the government he's not working you know 12 hour days he works his seven and a half hour day or whatever it is then he comes home and his phone doesn't ring all night right um so he's able to be more present with the kids and gotcha all right so how long did you do the how long were you doing coke to survive uh i first started doing coke when i was 15 and then i stopped when i was about 21 when i left that real bad man right um and then i started again when i was 26 and i used up until about a year ago was when i quit were you and i've been sober since were you were you using it while you were pregnant the second time no no uh well actually sorry pardon me um yes but i didn't know i was pregnant um okay when i got pregnant the second time it was a total fluke i'd actually we had moved to a new town and i'd given away all my baby stuff because i wanted to have another baby so they could have a sibling because i was always alone my whole life right um, but we were never able to get pregnant. Um, so I just gave away all the stuff. And three months later, I'm like, why is my period late? Uh, ta-da. <laughs> and uh, so the day that I told my my husband I was pregnant with my second son, um, he did not have a very happy reaction. Because um, I really wasn't doing very well. And um, he was pretty worried if I had another baby, if I would live through my pregnancy with my diabetes and whatnot. And uh you know, if I'd be able to handle two children, like 
mentally be able to cope with having two kids. Um, yeah. So my second pregnancy, um, when he had that bad reaction, I just kind of gave up on life completely and totally. And I started using extremely heavily and I did not care at all. It was, I was literally, I was actually trying to kill myself. I was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to, I'm going to die having a good time. Um, yeah. So my drug of choice is cocaine and my method of choice is IV, which is extremely dangerous and, um, not good. <laughs> not good. I had a habit of about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a week. How how do you um oh okay. So I have a couple of questions here. Um yeah. how do you hide that much money going out? Um well I uh somehow I the banks uh decided to give me a thirty thousand dollar line of credit. One day I got an email from my bank and they're like, you've been approved for $30,000. <laughs> and I was like, all I had to do is press accept. I didn't apply for it. Right. They just sent me 30 grand. I was like, okay. You know, so I would take our paycheck and I'd pay the minimum payments on everything. And like we'd get food and stuff. And then I take what I could to go use drugs. And if I needed to top up, I just pulled out some cash at the ATM. Gotcha. What about, um, hold on. Uh, I'm I'm putting my my thoughts together. I apologize. That's uh, okay. Uh, what what is happening to your diabetes over the last five years? Do you are you seeing a doctor? Do you get regular blood testing? Like, is any of that happening at all? Not really. Um, when when we lived in the province um, where we first met, um, I had a, a really good medical team. Um, and they would be there to support me emotionally and encourage me along. But when we moved to this other province, I didn't really have any support. Um, I guess we've been here four years now or so. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of flew by the seat of my pants. And eventually I did have to call the hospital and be like, I can't manage my sugars at all. My A1C was like 14. And I was on the Omnipod at the time and I didn't know really how to adjust my basils or taking my boluses. What I was eating was like hit or miss. Mm. I might get my A1C done like once a year because I was just like, I can't handle another bad number. I know it's going to be bad. So why bother doing anything about it? Mm. Um, it was, it was really hopeless diabetes was. How is it now? Uh, the best it's ever been in my life. Right. Is that just from the algorithm, from using an algorithm, um, or did you do other things? I, th- I think I think the algorithm helps a lot. Um, it catches me when I miss something, like if I forget to to bolus for my meal and I start that spike. It's like, hey, and it starts, you know, the auto correction. Um, mm. I've got my my limits set pretty low for my alarms, so if I do climb over. I see it right away. Um, but what's also helped me is um, dealing with my emotions and dealing with my problems and seeking understanding of myself mm-hmm. and being in therapy. Um, so my rock bottom happened, you know, a month after I found out I was pregnant with my second son. Um, 
and I, I overdosed in front of my husband and my son one morning um, and scared the life out of my husband. And then I had to tell him everything had happened. After that, he put me in rehab. And then when I got out, he, he told me, if that ever happens again, you know, I'm going to have to kick you out. You can't be around us doing that. And um, so I started going to see an addictions therapist. And believe it or not, she is also a type 1 diabetic. Mm. And she's the one who introduced me to the juice box. Oh. Yeah. She she rocks Omnipod or or Tandem. She kind of switches as she goes. And she's she's been an invaluable asset to me because she's she's given me the gift of radical acceptance. Um, no matter how bad the thoughts that I have are, um, she's never shamed me. She's never told me that I should be doing this, that, or the other thing. She's always just accepted me for who I am yeah. and let me say my truth, which is something I've never had in my life. Um, and feeling better about myself has given me the opportunity to take care of myself. Because if you don't feel good about yourself, why bother caring about your body? Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty clear uh, through line with your story is that when when things seem like they give up on you, you give up on you too. So, yeah. yeah. So avoiding being in that situation seems paramount. That's excellent. I, I mean, honestly, you know, for the last hour, I've really taken the tactic of I, I, I'm just sort of acting like a I don't know, like a book that you're writing in. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't, I don't know anything about your life or how to make. You know, I wouldn't know what to tell you to do. You know what I mean? So yeah. better just to hear what what's happened to you, so so people can understand it. Um, that's excellent. How long have you been seeing her? Uh, it's been just over two years now okay. that I've been seeing her, and even through COVID. Um, we, we talk on the phone every week. Um, I've started seeing a psychologist as well in the same office. And uh, in July, I connected with a psychiatrist in the same office as well. Um, since my youngest son was born, and even during my pregnancy, I was really trying to spend time. I, I decided, you know, there's something I don't understand about humans and human nature. And so I need to start teaching myself how humans work and how do we do that? We, we listen to podcasts on different psychological con concepts. Um, one guy I listened to, which I really, really strongly advocate for, um, his name is Kirk Honda and uh, the podcast is psychology in Seattle. And he is a university professor um, and uh, he is, incredibly insightful he has a 20-hour podcast about attachment theory which really helped me understand because my my parents weren't there for me as a child like I needed to the way that I perceive relationships is completely different than somebody who would be securely attached and, and who got that regular reinforcement from their parents as a child mm -hmm. um and he really under really really explains it really well um and that got me to branch out to listen to all sorts of different things and and reading books on audible i i can't read a book sitting on a couch um my brain just goes somewhere else like two paragraphs in 
Um, but if I'm on Audible, I can listen to the book as I clean the house or take care of the kids and and I can focus on it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started, you know, learning about ADHD. One day, this podcast came on by by Mr. Honda and I listened to adult ADHD and I went, what? People don't think six trains of thoughts at all times of the day, even when they're sleeping. That's not how people are. And it clicked. And I went, oh my God, that's why I felt like something is so wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And I started recognizing what was going on. For instance, when I was when I clean the house, I never get the house clean. Why? Because I walk in circles. I'll go to the sink. I want to wash the dishes and I'll pick up a cup. I'm like, oh, I'm thirsty. So I'll go to the fridge and I'll get something out of the fridge. And I'm like, oh, I need a cup from the cupboard. And I'll go get a cup from the cupboard. And then I'll have my drink and then I'll see, you know, there's some dirt on the floor. I should wash the floors. And then I start washing the floors. And then my socks get wet. I'm like, oh, I have to change my socks. So I go to my room and, you know, take off my socks. And then I'm like, oh, that hamper's full of laundry. I better put a load in. You know, and so then I go put in a load in and I've washed like three plates, got half the floor clean, you know, and now I'm doing laundry. No wonder I'm not getting anything done. <laughs> and, and and you can see that now. Can you stop oh. it? Well, now I can. Yeah. Wow. Um, now I'm taking I'm taking Adderall XR, which is like Ritalin. It's a stimulant mm-hmm. and it's extended release. So I take it when I wake up and it goes for 12 hours. And I, so one way it's been described to me, ADHD, is that we have what you would call race car brains. So we think really, really, really quickly. Um, But with that race car brain, we were only given bicycle brakes. So you get going really fast, especially if you're excited about something. And your brain's just like 100% in. But when you need to change tasks, or stay on the same task, your impulse control is not there to slow you down. And so you just bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Um, And you can't stay focused on a project. And that is why I was using cocaine my whole life. Just because cocaine is a stimulant. And it was helping a little bit, right? It it was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would give me the ability to slow myself down. I, I know somebody who I think of is like they they keyword think. So you can start having a conversation about the color of the paint in the bathroom. And if at some point water comes up as getting on the wall, then the conversation will turn towards water until somebody mentions yeah. a pipe and then it'll turn to plumbing. And then, you know, Bill's a plumber and now we're talking about Bill's wife. And then it, it's like you, you can yeah. watch them do that. Like you can stand and watch them just there's a they're talking, talking, talking about something. And then some word gets said out loud. It's almost like I, I don't want to it's it's ham fisted, but like, you know, it's like a dog, right? Like we just go like, look over here. And it's like, oh, now I forget everything. It's over. Here. It's exactly what happens. Squirrel brain. Yeah. That's that's what I call it. Squirrel brain. Yeah. Look, shiny. Woo, woo, and then woo. you're just some now you're doing something that new and different and you have no recollection of the thing you were talking about before you're just going 
it's uh, yeah you're just yeah you just go 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 and that's how sometimes I can get like really wrapped up in my stories because I get wrapped up in the details and the feelings and the thoughts and I just kind of yammer yeah but you, you but you should give yourself more credit you didn't do that today you 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 told a cohesive story you didn't jump around I'm trying not to. Thank you. No, you're no. <laughs> I'm really super trying to focus today. And did, did I like talk I a lot? Over to my friends. Sorry, I didn't talk a lot, right? Uh, no, no, you're really quiet. I'm no. like, ah, I'm doing this wrong. No, you're doing it, you're doing it right because I don't have much to say, and I also don't want to waylay you and move you in a direction that doesn't let you get out what what needs to be said too. Like I don't care if like you know yeah. somebody comes on and we're just you know BSing about something, then I can. You know, I can jump all over the place and move the conversation around as I find things um, lacking in interest and I'm, I want to move to something else. But I like, you know, I think everything you said is valuable and and people should hear it because, I mean, look what happened to you, right? Like they're, I mean, honestly, it, you were you were born to a person who probably had their own trouble and then you exhibit this trouble and she can't handle that. She, she you know, pushes you away, which... Of course, just speeds up your problem, makes it a thousand times worse. You run into other people predictably who are not going to be good for you, um, who probably have their own issues. And, you know, you're you just keep getting up and tumbling and getting up and tumbling. Even even as much as I mean, the only thing I've heard in your story so far as an adult is your husband saying, do this again and you're gone. Like that's the first like you you talked about an hour ago, you need your mom to set limits and then stick to them. Yeah. This man you're married to now, to, in my estimation, after you've talked about this for an hour, is the only person who's ever done this for you. Am, yeah. I, am I right about that? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a relationship that I really value um, because even in my lowest points, he's never thrown his hands up in the air and said, I'm done. Mm. Like, F off, you know, we've, we have had our spats and, and we're very, both very strong willed, extremely stubborn people. Um, but we don't bail on each other. And I've never had that in my life from yeah. anybody. No, it's a, 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 a nice thing that most people do for each other. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. not every, I mean, I guess if we look at the divorce rate, you know, one in two people do for each other, but it, yeah, the, fact, right? the fact that you didn't bump into one of those people, <laughs> for all this time. it's amazing well, it's yeah yeah it's yeah so um so now now you have that and and you have a plan and you've got a doctor and a number of doctors that are helping you with it um yeah this is where you i mean in my mind this is where you plant your flag and make a stand like right here oh yeah 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 and like now now i i can be consciously aware you know, about my diabetes and I can say, okay, you know what? Like you've been trending high all day. Why are you trending high? And critically think about it, you know? Um, and I can ask myself, I can ask for help if I need it before it's a crisis where I go in a hospital with DKA. I don't know how many times I've been hospitalized, maybe 15 times. Yeah. It would be my guess, wow. you know, with, with DKA, um, you know, I can, I can, stop what I'm doing and think about it and adjust my basils and adjust my ratios and try something new for a week and, and see what works and just, and do that. But I tell you without this tandem pump, without this Dexcom, even being medicated for my ADHD and having a lot more control of myself, 
I, I don't think I would be nearly as successful as I am with them. Well, I'm glad you found them and I'm glad they're helping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and you know, I can make through my own journey and my own struggle. Um, now I can look outside myself and I can see people for who they are, you know, and a f- about a year ago, I, was, I started to realize that my son is not a bad kid. He's not not listening because he can't or because he doesn't want to listen. Mm-hmm. It's because he can't. And I started really looking back to myself as a child and his age and how I felt and what I wanted. And I just realized that my kid, my kid's got, we've got, I told him the other day, I said, we have the same race car brain. And um, I went to the doctor and I, I said, look, this is what's going on. You know, I've been taking him to a child psychologist. I got a report from her. And uh, just last week, I, I, I went there and I said, I need to start him on stimulants um, because this is what's going on. And I've got evidence, you know, here backed up from a, a child psychologist. And, you know, my doctor's really supportive of me and he wanted to support my son as well. Um, and my son's been on stimulants for a week now. And I got an email from his teacher last night. Oh, here come tears. She said, I can't believe how your son has changed. She's like, it's, it was Tuesday night. So she had Monday and Tuesday with him. And she's like, he can sit down and focus on his work. And he's looking for social cues from the, from the other kids to if he's on task and he's, he's showing empathy and, and he's showing his sensitive side and, and he wants to do a good job now. And she's like, I'm just so happy with how he's doing it. I, I just cried and I cried and I cried. Well, I cried for my child self because I wish that somebody had done that for me so I could have had a better life. And I cried for my son because I'm so relieved that doing this work on myself has helped me realize that I could, oh, sorry, I can make a difference in his life so that hopefully he doesn't go down the same roads that I've been down. Yeah. And he can have a good life. And I'm just so proud of him. And I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. You're, I'm just you're, so happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. And you're, you're, I mean, you're getting the real opportunity to do the things that you needed done for you as a child. Now you get to do them for your kid. And yeah. I would imagine that's going to bring you um a lot of, comfort as it goes along you know um you're i think you're really going to feel uh accomplished as that as that happens yeah and being aware you know of of my own struggles and my child's struggles and responding with empathy and compassion i know is really gonna it's 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 gonna do a lot of really good things for him as a person and i hope that he develops into a very well-rounded emotionally sound little boy who's truly confident despite his struggles. Yeah. Well, um, I don't think there's, yeah, I'm looking forward to it so much. Yeah, no, good for you. I mean, you're right here. This is the beginning. I honestly, it's, <laughs> I mean, it sucks to say, but like, this is the beginning of your life. Like right here. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Took a while. To this get is to. where I, I start to live. It's been quite the journey, but I'm here and I've been telling my therapist too, you know, I think I'm happy. I'll catch myself smiling, yeah. you know, while I sit on the couch thinking about something. And I, I think this is what happy is. I'm not sure yet, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like, 
you know? <laughs> so um, I'm really excited about life and I'm really excited about my diabetes and I'm really excited about advocating for, for people that have struggles with their mental health and that they should continue to try, mm-hmm. you know, and not just give up because health can be achieved. You just got to find your niche. You've got to find what it is you need to be successful. Right. Listen, I would consider happiness to just maybe be the absence of sadness. It, yeah, uh, right? Yeah, it feels light and um, it, you're not always worried about things or or sad or drugged down. You know, it, it's not like, it's not always going to feel like, you know, like confetti and fireworks, but, <laughs> it, but, yeah. it, but it might just feel like, like, Maybe you're going to learn what normal feels like, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, when I first took the Adderall, the first day I was like, I'm supposed to be feeling high, right? Because I had that reaction, like when I, when I do cocaine, I was supposed to be feeling high, but I wasn't high, but I felt like my body was. And I was like, this is weird. And the second day I was like, okay, now I know I'm not supposed to be high, but I still feel really weird. This is strange. Okay. Let's try to accept it. And the third day, I was sitting in my armchair in the corner of my living room and I came to the sudden realization that all of the multiple trains of thought that I have been living with my entire life in my head were gone Hmm. and that I was sitting there not thinking. And I had this huge sigh of just relief. The anxiety was just gone and I could choose to, think and I can choose not to think. And I, I swear I sat there for three hours in that chair, not thinking for the first time in my life. Being comfortable. What, what is and that? it was uh, so uncomfortable and it was amazing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what is that form of ADHD called that you were talking about? Um, so I have a combined, so there's, there's three forms of ADHD. There's, there's the hyperactive ADHD and then there's the inattentive ADHD um, inattentive is, is typically what girls have. So they'll just kind of fade off into dreamland and just kind of forget what they're doing when they're supposed to be doing it and just kind of, you know, dazed and confused and don't know what's going on. Um, and then the combined type is when you have some hyperactive symptoms, you know, running around and obsessive thoughts and, and, you know, behaving very impulsively. Um, along with the inattentive kind of off in dreamland. So I'm, I'm combined primarily inattentive. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I have to thank you for doing this because um, I, I did not know. I wasn't sure when I started with you today, uh, but now I'm positive. This is an after dark episode. I didn't realize that when we started right away. Um, <laughs> but it is. Yeah. And uh, I, it's hard to get people to come out and tell stories like this. So I'm, I'm very grateful for you doing this. Uh, I think there's a lot of power in, in telling your story because it, it normalizes um, people going through struggles. Yeah. You know, you look at Facebook and everybody's got those pictures with, you know, kids playing in the park and, you know, their beautiful dinner at the restaurant and how wonderful their life is. And, and that's not real. And I never realized that wasn't real until I realized it wasn't real and every like everybody's got their struggles. Right. So 
we can all pretend to be normal and that everything is perfectly fine in our lives. Or we can be honest and talk about what's going on and find hope and hear each other's stories and each other's strategies and heal together. And I think that's that's really important. And that's what I want to, you know, just get that message out. You can you can do anything if you, you know, put your mind to it and find the right people to support you. Yeah, that's perfect. I think struggling can uh struggling can be normal sometimes too, by the way. So Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. St- struggle when you struggle, it's a sign that you're about to grow. <laughs> That's that's yeah. Whether you want to or not, (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to remember that when I can't get out of bed in the morning when my back is stiff. (laughs) Right? Struggling. I'll be like, I'm gonna grow soon. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Probably doesn't. Probably doesn't uh, uh, apply to that. Uh, Maybe. Maybe not. Seriously, I I uh, I just want to thank you and 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 uh, and tell you uh, I I have no right being proud of you, but. I am, you know, I've listened to you for the last hour and, and or or so, and um, there are definitely a number of times you could have given up. So it's pretty, yeah, it's yeah, pretty for cool sure. And I appreciate you taking the time to to hear, you know, my story. And um, yeah, I think this is awesome. Keep doing what you're doing on the podcast. I think you're amazing. Thank you. Um, I've learned so much from you, and I I totally admire um, just how dedicated you are to your daughter. Um, and and helping people and we need more people like you in the world well we that's don't, for sure we don't need more people like me doing the same thing i'm doing though because no I'm, no I'm, no yeah, yeah no different this, I've, got this, <laughs> I've got this covered we need other people doing other things it's the last yeah, thing find another passion people scott's got this yeah yeah i don't need somebody <laughs> hearing this and thinking oh they're right i should make a diabetes podcast that's done i got that you're good <laughs> yeah uh, oh no, that's so awesome i'm mostly kidding I would be remiss by not starting with thanking Delane for coming on the show and being incredibly open and honest with her rather unique and uh, twist and turny kind of story. I mean, my goodness. Thanks also to Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. I'd like to ask you to go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to learn more and get started today. And of course, see if you want to get yourself one of those free 30-day trials of the Omnipod Dash at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. If you're looking for more After Dark episodes, you can find them right there at juiceboxpodcast.com or go in your podcast player and type in Juicebox Podcast After Dark. <laughs>